This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. There's never been a better time in history to be a seller than now. There's more technology, information, more means of connecting with our prospects and customers than at any other point in time. On the other hand, uh, at the same time, the complexity of selling is through the roof and the variety of pressures on salespeople, sales leaders, and sales teams can be soul crushing. <laughs> what can sales leaders do to inoculate themselves and their teams against these pressures and complexities? What is one thing that they can do to give themselves a competitive advantage in this complex pressurized sales environment? Well, it turns out that the highest performing sales teams are also the ones that purposefully build and maintain winning cultures. Now, there's almost nothing worse for a sales team than unchecked rampant negativity. Negativity can be infectious. It causes innumerable problems for sales teams, and it's super easy for it to take root in your culture. The good news is, as sales leaders, we can directly impact and ultimately reverse the effects of negativity on our, on our sales floors. We have the power to create and foster a winning sales culture within our team. Sales culture, winning sales culture. Okay, so chewing on this topic today with me is Mr. Sean Dowdle, Executive VP of Global Sales at Filevine. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan, good to be here to be with you today. My pleasure. All right, my friend. So before we get into the meat of the conversation, tell us, you know, spill the beans, my friend, you know, but let us hear about you. Tell us about you and your experience and about Filevine. Yeah, so um, you know, I'm a, I like to think of myself as a, a consummate sales professional. I've been doing this for over 20 years now, which I think that kind of dates me a little bit. I'm I'm getting old. I'm getting the gray hair around uh, around the ears. And um, but I've been I've worked for large companies, small companies. You know, I've been at Adobe and I've been in companies that nobody would have ever heard of. Uh, but the last four years, I've been at Filevine, and um, I've watched some really and been a part of some really cool things that have happened. We when I started at Filevine. We were about six salespeople on the sales organization, maybe 25 people in the company. And we've grown that from, uh, I was just looking at the numbers today, we'll be right around 120 people on the sales team uh, by the end of this month. And um, we're nearly 500 employees. We just finished our series D. And so uh, I think culture has been something I have absolutely really focused on over the last four years. And I'm looking forward to the conversation because it's something I feel passionate about, strong about. Uh, I don't claim to have all the answers, but I certainly uh, work really hard to build a winning culture, and I think it has a, a massive impact. So it's definitely been a huge part of why Filevine has had a winning culture and, winning, and a successful track record the last number of years. And so looking forward to the conversation. So congratulations on the growth. Uh, it's always fun to take something small and help it grow and become nothing, um, nothing more exciting to a guy like me, and it sounds like to you, than, than doing that exact thing. So congratulations. Um, all right, before we get in, you know, into, you know, how do we deal with culture and building it? Let's, let's start with what is a winning team culture? Let's, let's start with some wisdom here and define things. So, so what is a winning team culture, Sean? 
Well, there's a lot of different ways you could take that. The way I think about culture, um, maybe I'll take a little different angle on it. I, I think a culture, when I think of your team, uh, I really think of it as a reflection of, of you. So if your team is performing at a high level, I think that's a reflection of who you are and what you're portraying and what you're reflecting. If your team is performing at a low level, I think that's a reflection on you as well. And so to me, a winning culture is a team that, that works together, is pulling in the same direction, and um, really, when I think about a winning culture, it's people that have high expectations of themselves and hold themselves to a high bar and uh, are held to that, that standard with, uh, by the leaders as well. And so I, I really think that a winning culture is people rowing in the same direction, high positivity, not, uh, not that you're ignoring the, the things that are going on in the organization or the challenges, but that you find ways around those things. And you find, you take it, you embrace the, the good, you embrace the challenge, and you, you find a way through it instead of dwelling on the negative things. Because every organization I've been around long enough to know has challenges. There's no perfect place in the world that I'm aware of. And so you've got to have a team that can kind of... Um, embrace the, all elements of the business. And even when the challenging things come along, they've built into themselves this resilience or this ability to, to look at the challenge and not dwell on it, but find a way to overcome it. The other thing I've realized is that if you're presented with a challenge, until you get better at overcoming that challenge than the challenge itself, you're gonna keep running into it. And so we've got to teach our teams to, to not just run away from the things that, that emerge or complain about those things in their little sidebar conversations. We have to teach them to embrace those things, be real with it, and find a way to get through it or over it. And then once you do that, that challenge is going to be, you might hit it again, but you're going to have the skills to, to overcome it the next time, time it comes around. So you mentioned a couple of things that I want to unpack a little bit further. So I think we've got a good working kind of definition, right? Uh, and, and culture can be squishy in any, in any you know, realm. I don't care if you're talking about organizational structure, if you're talking about sales team culture, sub substructure cultures, I mean, culture can be, it can feel a little squishy, but I liked what you said. And there were a couple items that I want to unpack a little bit. I hear a lot from especially young um, or new sales leaders. Um, they, they, they think that a winning culture equals a positive and an overtly positive culture. I don't see it that way. I don't. And, and I like what you said. I don't, I like what you said about it's highly positive, but you're not ignoring the issues, right? That the challenges you're embracing them. So from your perspective, are a winning team culture and positive team culture, the same thing? I think they can be. And what I, I think that there's definitely a level of positivity you have to take into everything. When I, when I look at a deal or I'm unpacking a deal with a rep, for example, um, I'm looking at the good things, but we talk about happy years in sales where salespeople only hear the good things in a deal. And sometimes they ignore what's, what's really going on. And then they hear the good things, but they kind of ignore maybe the red flags. And so when I sit down and I look at an opportunity with a rep, and this is how I think about it, I, I focus on the good, but we also look at what's, what could potentially stop that, that deal from moving forward. And I'm very real about it. That does not make me negative. It just makes me real. And so I'm still optimistic we can win the deal, and, but, but what I am also am is I call myself a realist. And I'm like, if I ignore these things that are red flags and just kind of try to si sidestep those things, that could negatively affect the deal down the road. So I'm real with them. I don't ignore them, 
but I go into solving those potentially negative things with a really positive attitude. And so I think they can exist in the same world that you have to be very positive uh, about your ability to overcome those things, but you can't ignore those things. So that doesn't make you a pessimist. Some people could look at that and say, well, you're just looking at the glass half empty. What you're really looking at is all the good things. And then you're trying to find a way to overcome anything that might potentially stop the deal from happening. And that in turn uh, can make you, can build a really winning culture. You're just taking in all the elements and you're embracing them for what they are. And then you're finding your path forward, uh, looking at all facets of the business or the deal or whatever it is that you're trying to look at. Uh, and so to me, yes, they can be the same thing. And they, they, I think they need to be, they can exist in the same world, uh, winning culture and positivity. But positivity, sometimes we confuse with, um, you can only look at the good and you can't look at the bad. You need to look at everything going on and approach the challenge with a positive attitude and how am I gonna overcome this? And, and, and that's how I think those two things really work well together. Love that. Okay. So uh, I want to back up a little bit further. So let's say I, I, I'm a, I'm a new sales rep right into an organization. How can a sales rep spot the evidence of their sales team culture? You know, how do we know that the culture exists? What's it, what does it look like? How do they see it? Well, there's uh, you know, how do you, how do you see it? So I think uh, in, in our organization, you can sense it. There's just certain behaviors and things that people people have. You know, one of the things in our organization is uh, um, we just have certain axioms or certain things that we say and do in the way we, we talk about things. We we have a term, we call it the file vine way of selling. And that is a unique way of selling to us. There's little nuances. And so we start talking about those things in our deals, the way we interact with each other. We have little axioms and things that we'll use. And so I think People start to just get a sense of that um, when when they're walking around. They just feel it because it it's permeates the whole organization. But that that's an intentional effort. That doesn't just happen. That happens with me pushing down what I believe the important things are, pushing that to my leaders and making sure they're holding people accountable to those standards. And what people feel is is that that cultural message coming down from the top and the expectation and accountability associated with that. And they start to emulate that. And then as people come in, they realize, oh, these are the types of things we do at Filevine. And these are the types of things that are not okay at Filevine or that we don't do. Um, and I think that it, it's just kind of starts from the top. Contrary to maybe some opinions, culture is not a thing that if you want a good winning culture, it doesn't just happen. It really is a proactive effort that you have to reach my friend absolutely absolutely <laughs> keep going yes yes so it's just it's it's something you have to push on so i over the years have, have identified six characteristics or six um attributes that i really you know when a new organ or new team starts or new person even but typically we're hiring in teams right now so as a new group group comes on I spend 30 minutes with every single new person that comes into, into Filevine sales anyway. And I go through these six characteristics and then I have two other things we talk about. And I start from the very beginning of their time at Filevine and say, these are the things that make Filevine a winning place to be. And you should be working on those things yourself, but you'll also feel and see those things in the people around you. And so we start day one, when they get to Filevine, this is the th these are the things that, that we want out of you that we think will make you successful at Filevine and in your future. And so we really start from day one uh, with the things that are important to us. And we 
then try to emulate those things day to day in, in the way we do things. And so it is a proactive effort. Um, it, it does not just happen. Okay, so I, I love this. We are perfectly aligned on this point. Uh, culture happens, culture is. Now it either builds itself or you purposefully and deliberately create the culture. And I like, I love, by the way, I love those tips and tricks that you, you know, that, that you employ about, you know, engaging with your salespeople early on. What else can sales leaders do to help purposefully build their sales team cultures? Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really, really effective is uh, we, there's a lot of, um, if you see something going well, you want to highlight it. So one of the things that when I was just an early manager, kind of working to build a culture on just my, my little sales team, maybe six or seven people, one of the things that I would do is, is I would teach new principles in my sales meetings. I would then join calls and, uh, and I would encourage people to do those things that, that I was teaching. And as I saw them succeed with those things, one of the things that I would do in the next sales meeting is I would ask that individual, I would say, listen, you've been, you were really successful with this thing we talked about doing in our last sales meeting. Could you share five minutes about your experience with this client in this situation? And I would have them come to the sales meeting and talk about their experience actually doing that thing that we had trained on. And I, and it would give them an opportunity to kind of reflect on their performance and why it was a good thing that they'd done but also it reinforced that behavior in the rest of the team. It wasn't just coming from Sean anymore. It was like, hey, this person on the sales team actually listened to what happened and it reinforced that behavior. So I think that that's a really important way that you can kind of uh, build culture and kind of build that up is put the good examples of what you're trying to build in front of the group. And it doesn't have to all rest on the sales leader's shoulders to try to do this. As you see good things happening, Put those things at the forefront of your team and make sure other people are recognizing and seeing what's happening and spread that across the team and let them help lift that culture in the way you want it to, to, to be lifted. So if you're seeing the right things happening, make those people and those examples top of mind for individuals and keep that going week after week, day after day. And I have found that that is super, super helpful in getting buy-in from the team. They get recognized as doing something really well. The rest of the team sees the winning behaviors out there that, that you're trying to trying to instill and they want to follow. And I think that's a, that, that's just one way that we have, have done it over here. And it, it's been really, really successful. So why is building a winning sales culture so important? You know, why is this important to you? Why is it important to file by? Yeah, I think that um, if you have a culture that expects excellence or is winning um, people will rise to that to that occasion. They're going to rise to want to be a part of that. And um, if you have a, a low performing organization, people will kind of adjust to that as well. And uh, the great Nick Saban, I certainly didn't create this, this statement, but uh, he said that winning or high performing individuals don't like mediocre people and mediocre people don't like high performers. They just don't like to exist in the same world. And so I think if you have a high, strong culture that resonates in a certain way, you're going to attract those kinds of people to your organization, and those people are going to stick, and they're going to be, do well, and the other people are not going to be as attracted. You're probably, they maybe won't stick, and that's probably okay if they're not a, a part of the organization that works. So if you want a high-performing organization, you have to have 
you're going to attract the right people. You're going to keep the right people. And that culture is going to turn into results for you because they're high performers want to be around high performers. And to me, that is really the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do is we want good work environments. We want to have a good place to work. But at the end of the day, uh, salespeople, we've got a number to get to. We've got to drive to it. The way to get there is with high performers that, that work toward uh, a high standard. And so that's, that's really how we approach things over here is we try to keep get the, the high performers on uh, that'll adapt to the way we want to do things and in a really positive way. And um, it's, it's served us well so far over here. So you just said something that's, that's um, we're, we're moving from the ethereal, from the, the ideological to the, the, the pra practical or pragmatic, right? The rubber and the road, as they say, are meeting. And that is culture can produce results. Um, you know, help me bridge that gap. How does culture produce results? Well, I think I alluded to one piece of it is if you have good people, uh, they're going to want to be a part of your culture because they're going to like it. If you have like-minded people, the kind of uh, the culture will attract the right kinds of people. So, you know, high performers want to be in high-performing organizations. So that's naturally going to be a strong thing. But within that organization, you also want an environment that people feel safe and happy and their mentality is in a good state of mind. And so that that certainly doesn't go without saying that uh, if people are in an environment that has a strong and good feeling culture, they're going to feel better. And when you feel better, you typically perform better as well. So you're, you're getting the best of a couple worlds. One, you're getting good people because they're coming to a winning organization. They want to be a part of that. Winners want to be around winners. And then the second part of that is that if they're around in a good place that feels good, they're going to feel more enabled and empowered to, to perform at a high level. And so those winners or those, those strong people are also going to feel good. And because they feel good mentally and physically or in, in all ways, hopefully, uh, they're going to perform better. And I think that that's really what will help drive the results is the right people in the right state of mind doing the right things. And that delivers the results that you're after. Okay. So we've talked about, you know, why is, why is building a, a winning culture so important? You know, you know, how does it actually, how does culture produce results? Let's talk about the wreckage, right? Let's talk about the carnage here. So what wrecks sales culture? What, what absolutely just decimates sales culture? Well, um, there's a lot of things that can do that. I, I'll try to touch on a couple that I have seen. Um, you know, change, change in any organization, I'll use change as kind of the catalyst here that I'll, I'll lean on. But when it, when it, we'll use that as an example. So when a new change comes out and every year quotas change, territories change, we have changes in a sales organization. What can happen is, you know, your quota typically doesn't go down in the new year. So a new quota comes out and reps look at it and they say, oh my gosh, this number is really big. And what'll happen is they, they start to form these opinions, whether they're right or whether they're wrong. And if they're negative opinions of what's happening, you'll see these groups splinter off and start talking. And if they're talking negatively, um, what will happen is they'll, that, that can become very infectious in an organization. Oh, this quota is really big. And I'm just using that as an example. There are thousands and millions of examples probably you could use of things that, that could cause this to happen, but quotas one. Uh, the quota is really high. We don't think we can hit the quota. Oh my gosh, what are the leaders thinking? And these conversations start happening. 
that can wreck a sales culture. Now, that is a normal part of, a, of any organization that those conversations are going to happen. But those types of things left unchecked or unattended to will absolutely undermine and destroy a sales culture faster than anything. And we've had to fight that a little bit where I'm at today, where there are things that have happened that we have had to get in front of. And so as people start talking and building these little splintered groups of, of negativity in the organization, you have to get in front of those things. You have to go have those conversations with the leaders on the front lines. And I'm talking about your individual contributors that are leaders just because they're not formally uh, called leaders, they're still leaders. And you've got to get in front of those people and get them on the wagon as quickly as you possibly can and get them over any kind of negativity and then send them out as the little generals in the field to go help quell the, the concerns. And um, because if you don't, that will wreck your culture really, really fast if you let those things persist within an organization. That's challenging. It's tough. It's tough to know when those conversations are happening. But um, if you've got trusted people in the org, you can you can root those things out. Now we're not talking about pulling people aside and scolding them for having bad feelings. That's normal. People are going to have to react and feel away. But what we are doing is giving them an opportunity to talk, have their voice heard, process with you, and then once they're they work through the emotion of whatever they're feeling, they can be your best advocates to go out there and go help build the culture back up. And so you got to stay in front of those things. I think, uh, you know, those little sidebar conversations that are, can be negative. You gotta, you gotta find those and, and root them out of your organization. And that, that can be tough to do. But, so but totally I, I don't, I don't know about you as a, but as a, as a sales leader, as a leader in general, um, people's feelings and emotions and in their negativity is far more nuanced than, Hey, Sean, I'm having a problem with, right. Rarely do people just come straight out and say things they, they have indicators, they have signs, you know, things that, that show that they have some sort of negativity from your perspective, you know, what's been your experience? What's your perspective here? What are some of those signs that, Oh, Hey, we got, we got a problem here. We got trouble in river city. You know, what, what, what are those signs? Well, yeah, there, there are lots of them you can look for. Um, sometimes it's just, uh, I'll give you a couple examples of things I've seen. Um, we have a really high performing group team over here. And so sometimes you'll, at the end of the month, they're, they're usually pretty active. You know, at the last few days of the month, we work toward a monthly cadence over here still. Um, but at the end of the month, uh, a couple months ago, I saw one of these high performers and he was not on the phone closing deals. He was bouncing from person to person, just having conversations. And I could just sense that his rhythm was off a little bit. And I could, so, so I guess, and I could just tell that something wasn't quite right. I was right. I went and pulled him aside the next day and say, what's going on? It seems like something's off. And it wasn't, he was kind of doing what I just talked about. He was having those sidebar conversations. Something had happened that frustrated him. And he was more focused on kind of recruiting the resources to champion his cause than he was um, focused on, on business. So there's little things. If you see people get out of their rhythm of what you, what's normal or what you're used to seeing with them, that's a big indicator. If you're just kind of seeing that, hey, this person normally acts this way, but they're acting this other way, um, it may be something totally unrelated to your business, but it might not be. And you want to pay attention to those cues of when something just um, is a little bit out of rhythm, even a little bit. And as a sales leader, you should be observing those things. You've got to be looking at the team and understanding what the behaviors are, the tendencies. And if you see something, it may not even, it may just look like a conversation, but if your spidey senses go off and say, 
hey, that doesn't look quite right. You gotta, you gotta lean into that and watch for those types of indicators. So to me, it's uh, the, the biggest thing is just watching for the rhythm. Is a, re is a rep typically doing these things and performing at this level, and then you're seeing a difference, that, that could be an indicator. If their performance drops off, that's an indicator. Um, if they're missing more days in the office and that just doesn't seem quite right, that's an indicator. If there, there's a lot of things you can look for and sometimes it's, it's just, there's not, it's, it's just a rhythm. You're looking for what, what do they normally do and is that off a little bit? And if it is, you want to go dip into it and find out what's going on. So, um, man, th th there's, there's some, we're getting deep into the, the, we need to like lie on the couch here and have a, well, not to, <laughs> anyway, we, we just need to, uh, you know, have a couch session with this, you know, psychologist here. We're getting into some, some deep human psychology. When people triangulate, they have a problem. Then they go find somebody else. You called it recruiting. They find somebody else to share their woes with. Oftentimes it's a triangulation of, of, of problems and this compounds exacerbates the issue, right? This is a major, major problem. Why do you think salespeople, and I guess we could say humans because every human does it. This isn't a sales specific issue, but why do you think human beings do this? Why do we triangulate and try and recruit other people or, or find others to, you know, bury our, 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 our woes with, you know, to, to, to bear, you know, share these burdens with. Well, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but, uh, but I'll give it my best attempt here to give you, give you my thoughts there. Um, it, we, we want to believe that we're that our feelings are validated is my opinion of that. Um, we want to know that, Hey, I feel this way. Does someone else agree with me? And if they agree with me, then maybe more people agree with me. Maybe my cause is more justified if I can get all these people on the same, same team with me. And maybe we can, because we're all feeling the same way we can push and change or, or whatever. I, I think it's a validation thing and it's, a, it's also a, an empowering mechanism for them to, to maybe go do something about it or have the conversation they want to have or, or maybe it just makes them feel better because they're like, I feel negative. I want other people to be kind of in that world with me. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure of that, but it, it is a human tendency. We all do it. Um, it's not just salespeople. I think we all kind of want to just go feel like our feelings are, are valid. Um, there's nothing, I don't think there's inherently something wrong with it, with, with feeling that. Uh, but when you're dragging other people down, I think that's where it really becomes a challenge. And, um, and so I really do watch for it. I watch for those little, little conversations. Uh, those people that are out there recruiting maybe people to their cause for the, the negative side of the house, though, can also be your best champions for the positive side of the, of the world as well. And I have those people on my team. I look for them. Um, if someone's, if, if that's the person or people that, that, or, um, uh, your team wants to go to, um, let's arm them with good things to go do that with also. And I really do feel that way. I'm like, Hey, if you want to go be that person being, uh, help me do it in a positive way as well. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a validation thing. I mean, to, to kind of come back to it, I think they want to feel justified in the way they feel and. If more people feel that way with them, they're, they're more validated in how they feel. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So as we, you know, at primary intelligence, we run uh, win-loss analysis for B2B sales teams, right? So we see oftentimes that there are these biases that can come into play around opportunities, why they were won or lost, right? Salespeople tend to believe they, they already know why they won or lost. Um, and oftentimes the loudest voice in the room 
becomes the bias, right? That becomes the narrative. We lost the deal because of this, or we won the deal because of that. And, you know, oftentimes these biases are frankly, just flat wrong. They're just wrong. Um, and as sales leaders, um, I, I'm really curious from your, for your pers- from your perspective here, how do you prevent false bias, which are oftentimes super negative, from becoming the narrative? How, how do we not control the narrative? I'm not talking about controlling the narrative, but how do we help shape the narrative away from the loud voice in the room that's often negative? Yeah, I, it's a totally good question. And they have those things pop up everywhere. I remember uh, at an organization I was with uh, a number of years ago, there was this belief in this organization that they could not sell six-figure deals. They, that was kind of their bias. It was this pre, pre-assumed bias that we we just that we just sell 20, 30K deals. Those are our big deals. And that's who we deals. are. That's yeah, who that's we right. are. That's just, that's just what we are as an organization. And we don't sell to those kinds of things. And I walked in as a sales leader, kind of newer sales leader, and I thought, well, that's crazy. I've been selling six-figure deals my whole career. I don't see any reason why we can't do it here. Um, And so that was a little different, but I saw that bias, and those things definitely exist in all organizations, and they they can spring up when you least expect them. Um, But but one of the things that I did there is I just said, I just said, I don't agree with you, first of all, and I went out and I helped find ways to, to, to Personally, I went out and helped find, a, you know, I remember the first deal we did that was six figures, it was $200,000. And my point in that is that what you have to do to combat those biases is you have to do kind of what I talked about earlier. You have to find the evidence that um, doesn't support the bias and put that evidence forefront of your team or your organization. So um, in that situation, we didn't have the evidence that existed. We had to go kind of create it and actually kind of overcome the bias by winning a six-figure deal. And then it became more the norm. And we changed the bias by actually creating the evidence. But in, in some situations, the evidence exists that doesn't, that, that actually states the, the opposite. And so what'll happen is um, there's narratives out there. And if someone wants a narrative to be perpetuated, they can look for the, the biases that support that narrative. And um, again, I'm not trying to like control the narrative, but but if it's really not accurate, we want to put the real information in front of people. So um, if they say they can't sell a six-figure deal, well, let's go look. Have we sold any six-figure deals? Well, okay, there was evidence that we have or that we can. And once those things start happening, we need to put those things out there and make sure that that's at the forefront of the organization so that, that the bias kind of gets pushed away um, and that those things, instead of looking like um, instead of letting the loudest voice in the room dictate the what what it is, let's let the real story tell the story. And yeah, let evidence be the guide. And if if it's not true, or the bias is just like, hey, we we had a little run here of some things that we didn't like. Um, don't let the that be the 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 story. Let's find the real things, and then make sure we get that out in front of the, in front of the group. Um, I've got other stories like that. I had a rep that thought that he could never. It is quota. It was surprise. It was a low quota, and I just said, "Hey, there's going to come a point when you're going to sell way more than that." And um, you know, I found other examples of people in the organization that were achieving at a higher level, and I said, "It's totally possible." And he went on to become one of the best reps. But he had this preconceived notion that he just couldn't do it. And I said, "There's lots of evidence that says you can," um, and and that's one to one. But in an organization, it's the same way. You need to let the the data tell the story, and and what's really happening tell the story, and 
make sure that that's at the forefront of what people are hearing, not just the 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 biases that the loudest person in the room wants to wants to tell or have you hear. So you mentioned something early on in our conversation uh, about kind of um, you were alluding to it, like account accountability. Right. So uh, early on, when when a new salesperson enters your organization, you sit down with them for 30 minutes and you have a conversation about these are basically these are the expectations. This is who we are. We are high performers. You were talking about high performers and mediocre performers do not like to be in the same room together. And, and you're right. There's a, it's like, you know, they, they they do not mix. It's it's oil and water. It's it's not a good uh, not a good fit. So. Tell me a little bit more about how, as a sales leader, we can use accountability to support the culture, but not as a, as a, a, a club, you know, not as a, not as a, as something that we beat people with. Yeah. So I, I love that. I, that's a really good question. So um, I think accountability starts with yourself. Um, I really believe that as a leader, you got to hold yourself accountable. So uh, I hold myself accountable to standards that are probably higher than I hold my sales team accountable to. I probably work more hours than I do. I probably do more things than I do. And I don't expect that they they live to that level. But I think what you really have to do is um, in order to have accountability, you have to set expectations. And so you have to make sure that it's clear to your organization. These are the things that we expect. And... Um, and if you don't do those things, we're going to just talk to you about them. Not that we're going to beat you over the head with them and tell you you're a terrible person. We're just going to say, hey, we notice you're, these are the things that aren't happening. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. So in our, in our organization, I have uh, it's, it, certain things that I think are just really, really important when you're on a deal. One of those things is uh, it is really important that when we conclude a call with a prospect, that we're in an active deal cycle with, we always, always, always have a next call on the calendar with an agenda and what we're going to do in the next meeting so that we keep that deal progressing. And so um, we also have, and so I'll I'm going to use that as the example here in just a second. So that's, that's the expectation. And that's just one of the things that we kind of have as an expectation here. And so when I go to talk to a rep now about, hey, a deal that's happening, they know that I am going to ask hey, when's your next call? And is that on the calendar? And when is it? Um, because I might ask to join that call. And so they know that that's the expectation. And because I constantly am referring to that expectation, not in a negative sense, just like, hey, when's your next call? You know, I, I'm not like, hey, and then they know that's just going to come. They know that that's going to be a question. Um, and because of that, there's a level of accountability. So when I ask that question, it's not like I'm asking them in a way that, um, I think they haven't done it. I'm assuming they have. And I just want to know so that I could could jump on and help them strategize or even join the call potentially in some situations. So that's the example of, that I would use is that that's one very simple example. They just know that that's what the expectation is. And by us constantly using that as like a, a thing that we're asking about, not in a demeaning way, it's just like, hey, when's your next call so that we can plan the steps leading up to that call. Um, that helps the team stay accountable. There's lots of those types of things at Filevine that we have uh, that just kind of guide us over here. And so you've got to set the expectation and you've got to refer to that expectation constantly um, in, in informal and formal ways. Um, and it can't just be lip service. So um, the other way we'll do it, I mean, I, I mean that, that's really what it is. Lay it out and make sure it's really clear and then use that as the, 
the measuring stick for how you how you how you run your business and and that's how we do it over here so you just laid out you know there's there's kind of three building blocks for for any kind of culture that's language both verbal and written there's a behavior shared behavior shared language and then the artifacts right the artifacts that are left over that would be the the things that are left behind us that are indi indicators of what our culture looks like in this case the artifact is the scheduled the next scheduled meeting on the calendar right that's the artifact of the work of the behavior and then the language that you employ of, of accountability really drives home this is this is how we do things in our organization i love that so sean yeah. as we're wrapping up our conversation here look if you were sitting down uh, you, you like to ski a ton, right? So um, let's say you're sitting on the chairlift with with somebody else and you're, you're riding up the mountain. You've got several minutes because you're going to ride to the top and uh, you were just with another sales leader and you were going to give them some advice. What would be that, that just sitting with another human being sharing one piece of advice on how to build a winning culture with, you know, within uh, the, their sales team? What, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I would, I would say this uh, to them. It, it's not something you're going to pull off overnight and you're not going to know if you just, if I were to sit down in a single session, you know, four years ago when I started Filevine, for example, if I were to just try to map out exactly what I thought the culture should look like, I think I would have been wrong. I think I would have, uh, I would have done my best, but I think I would have been wrong. I think that, so what you're never going to get it in a single session, I guess is what, what I'm really getting at. You've got to kind of, it, it evolves over time. But that doesn't mean that you're you just set it and forget it. It means and you just kind of give, let it be what it is. It means that you're constantly paying attention to. So I guess the advice I would give if I were trying to boil that down is uh, it's going to take time. Uh, put some put some effort into it, but don't assume that you're going to have all the answers today as to what that culture needs to look like forever. I I believe I have, we have a great culture at Filevine, a winning sales culture, uh, and our results are, are proving that. But that has evolved over time. And I've, I've defined what I think that looks like over the last four years. And I think that's going to evolve over the next four, four years and, and beyond that even. And so do your best to kind of map out what you think that should look like, but don't be afraid to adjust or adapt or evolve over time. Don't think that you have to have all the answers today on what that culture needs to look like. And if you don't have that totally mapped out today, how are you ever going to get there? Do your best to, to start doing the things that you think you, you want your team to look like, see what works, see what doesn't work, and you can adapt and change over time. But if you're putting in that effort and not just letting it devolve into what it's going to become and you're constantly kind of adjusting in, in the right ways, uh, I think you can get there. But it is an effort that uh, don't expect you're going to have all the answers on day one. That's that's really, I guess, what I would say is just the, it'll it'll evolve over time. And I think you'll get it right if you're if you're focused on it. That would be my my general thoughts on it is it's uh, uh, nobody has all the answers at the outset. A so winning culture, a winning culture is an evolving culture. I love that. That that is powerful powerful advice. Thank you for that. Well, Sean, uh, listen, man, it's been great having you on the show. Thank you for the, the insight and the thoughtfulness uh, of, of your remarks and comments. Thank you for joining us today. Well, it's been my pleasure and uh, hopefully it helps some of the listeners out there and uh, you're really, really good to meet you and spend some time with you today. So thank you. And listeners, for more from our friends at Filevine and from us at Primary Intelligence, 
check out our show notes at primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You'd never do that, I know. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.